Psalm 27 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Prayer is keeping company with God. Uh, when Philip Yancey wrote that, um, I believe he hit the nail on the head. Because what this means is that God wants to spend time with you and he created you to spend time with him. And as we keep company with him, he invites us to exchange in a spirit of childlikeness um, our burdens and our weariness for Jesus' easy yoke. And as we keep company with him, he invites us through prayer to remain, resisting that drift and remaining in the vine from whom we will bear much fruit. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this morning means nothing unless you're here. Unless you are moving in our midst, unless you're, you're speaking to those parts of our lives that need soul surgery. And so, Lord, we, um, we say yes. We give you the right and the permission to speak into our lives. Uh, we ask, Lord, with all humility 
that, uh, that you would say something that you know that we need to hear. Now, for each person, it may be different, Lord, but may there be that one thing that we hear and it just resonates in our heart and we say, that's a word from God. Lord, would, would you speak in Jesus' name? Amen. So over the next two weeks, um, we're going to be looking at two complementary facets of prayer. This week, we're going to be looking at prayer as seeking. And next week, we're, we will be looking at prayer through the lens of waiting. So seeking and waiting. Now, the key to seeking God is perseverance. It's the will to keep on going even when you don't feel like it. On the other hand, the key to waiting on God in prayer is patience. So seeking God means going into God's space, whereas waiting for God is a longing for God to come into your space. So there's clearly a tension between these two truths. But is tension always a bad thing? I mean, can you imagine tying up your shoelaces without any tension? Sometimes tension is the only way to get the job done right. And so it's no accident that both seeking and waiting can be found in Psalm 27, which we heard from Wendy just a few moments ago. And verses 4 to 8 talk a lot about seeking the Lord in prayer, whilst verse 13 and 14 bring up this idea of waiting on the Lord in prayer. And I love that these two concepts that don't seem to work together on the surface actually find themselves in the same psalm, in the same prayer. It's a bit like maple syrup and sausages. They shouldn't work together. And when I came to Canada as a Welshman, I said they, they don't work together until I experienced it and found out that actually maple syrup and sausages do work. It's the same as waiting and seeking. So perseverance and patience, seeking and waiting. But this morning, let's, let's uh, zo- uh, zoom in, focus in on prayer as seeking. And our main text is Psalm 27, verses 4 to 5 and 8 through, through 10. Um, Verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Verse 8, my heart says of you, seek his face, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Now, of course, these verses are all about seeking God. Um, And actually, Jesus, who's the object of our seeking, later on in Luke chapter 11, verse 9, says this. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. That's a promise. Um, Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives the one who uh, seeks finds and the one... uh, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened, which to me sounds like an open-shut thing. It's a clear promise. But if you're anything like me or if you're human, then we all know these moments where it feels like we've been asking forever and not receiving. Sometimes it feels that God is more lost than he is found, and sometimes it seems that that door just will not seem to open no matter how long and hard we knock. Why is this? Well, I would suggest that uh, the main obstacle, the major obstacle to us 
Finding God is our divided focus in seeking him. Our main obstacle to finding God is our divided focus in seeking him. It works like this, right? Let's say I lose my phone, which I occasionally do, and I'm trying to find it. But while I'm finding it, I'm also trying to help Maya find her shoes, and I'm trying to write an email that I need to write, and I'm making my lunch, and the TV's on in the living room, and I'm trying to locate the remote at the same time so I can change the TV show because it's driving me crazy. At the same time, I'm, I'm dreaming of the new phone that I might have to get if I'm not able to find my phone. So I may say to you, and it may look on the surface, that I'm looking for my phone, but really, if I wanted to find it, I would put everything down. I would turn everything off, and I would get the rest of the family looking like the widow who was looking for that lost coin, or that shepherd who was looking for the lost sheep. I would be focused, right? And it's the same with seeking God. We say we're seeking him, but our focus is spread among so many other things. Our minds are distracted. Listen to these words from Luke chapter 10, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Mary chose one thing, seeking Jesus, and she got it. Martha's attention and focus and energy were split among many things and she missed Jesus. So if we're going to find God, then we need to seek him wholeheartedly and single-mindedly. So let's look um, for a few moments at what the Bible says are some of these rivals that can so easily steal our attention away from seeking God single-mindedly. And as you go through them, you, you might see yourself in one or two of them, and you will also maybe start to see a connection between all of them. So the first rival to seeking God single-mindedly is sin. If we're trying to seek sin and God, then we lose out on God. Psalm 66 verse 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Psalm, um, 1 Peter 3 7 talks about husbands treating their wives with respect, i.e. not sinning. Why? It says in 1 Peter 3 7, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So this, this shows us that if you're actively pursuing sin in your life, if you're not treating others like they should be treated, uh, and if you're not doing anything about it, then your choice has been made because you cannot seek both God and sin. The uh, second rival to seeking God uh, single-mindedly is self. If we're trying to seek God whilst pleasing self, we lose out on him. James 4 verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you are asking, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So if I'm seeking God and my own selfish wants, then I miss out on God. Third, the attitude of I know better. Right, We ask God to lead us, he answers us, and then we say, 
actually, God, I have this. I actually have a better idea. Why don't you listen to me? And we see this in uh, Deuteronomy 1 verse 43, uh, which is God talking to his people. He says, so I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills... Uh, sorry, I just lost my spot. The Amorites who lived on those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to you. He paid no attention to your weeping and he turned a deaf ear to you. So if God has revealed his clear will to you, either through scripture or through circumstance or through your conscience, and you've refused to listen to him, then don't expect God to listen to you. If seeking God while saying, I know, if you're seeking God while saying, I know better, then you will miss out on God every time. Fourth is hypocrisy which is that wonderful thing that's, uh, that, that we find operating in our lives, right? Myself included. So seeking God and living a hypocritical life are like oil and water. It will not work. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 50 says, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you even when you offer many prayers. Have you ever thought that when you're praying that God's not actually listening? You know, we assume that he's listening. But, is, but are there times when you're praying and God's saying, I'm not actually listening to you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening to you. Why? Your hands are full of blood. And what that shows us is that what we do here on the horizontal, on the horizontal level with our fellow human beings affects our relationship vertically with the Lord. And this verse says that if we mistreat other people who are made in God's image, then he's like that person on the street who... You know, pretends not to know you. He sticks his fingers in his ears and he says, I can't hear you. And then the last rival for seeking God is double-mindedness. James 1 verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So when we allow you know, double-mindedness to creep in and rival our single-minded focus-seeking of God, then we will miss out on God. So these five rivals, in summary, for the single-minded pursuit of God are sin, self, this attitude of I know better, hypocrisy, and double-mindedness. Now, it's you could argue that at the center of all of these is self, right? When I sin, it's about me. When I'm selfish, it's about me. When I, when I do life my way, it's about me. When I'm a hypocrite, it's about me trying to protect my reputation whilst doing what I want. And when I choose double-mindedness, to lean on my own understanding instead of trusting God's promises and his character, have a guess what? It's all about me. Friends, the biggest rival to you seeking God isn't your job, it's not your family, it's not your situation, it's not your spouse or your lack of spouse, it's not social media, it's not the past, it's you, it's me. And if I'm on the throne of my life instead of God, 
then no matter how I ask, it will not be given. No matter how I seek, God will not be found. And no matter how I knock, the door will not be open. And so the one that we should blame, the one that we need to overcome, is the one looking at us in the morning in the mirror. You see, God always ultimately gives us what we seek. If we choose idols or sin over him, then that's what we will get. And, that's, and maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. You realize that there is a whole lot of self-seeking going on in your life right now. You may say that you're seeking God, but not single-mindedly. Because you're also seeking his rivals. You know, the greatest of which is you. That is the bad news. But the good news is that from that place of self-idolatry, if we repent, if we turn around and we seek him, then we will get him. Because God always gives us ultimately what we seek. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 8 says, There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. Okay, that's God giving them what they seek. They were seeking that and they got it, man-made idols. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Friends, when we're seeking uh, sin and selfishness and disobedience and hypocrisy and double-mindedness, when we're seeking all of that stuff and we're seeking God, our internal landscape, our mental landscape and our heart landscape, our interior landscape is, is cluttered. It's complicated. It's messy. There's stuff on all the surfaces. Uh, it, it just looks a big mess. It, it, it's like me walking into, you know, into the room and seeing stuff everywhere. When there's stuff everywhere, you can't find anything. But when we choose to replace our seeking of self with the seeking of only God in prayer, our lives become very, very simple. Not easy. I didn't say easy, but they become simple. Simple because our lives suddenly become all about one thing only. Like Jesus said to Martha, he said, few things are needed or indeed only one. What she was doing wasn't bad. But he said, few things are needed, or indeed only one. And so this morning, friends, God wants to go Marie Kondo on your life. He wants to spring clean your heart and your motives. He wants to replace, you know, the clutter of sin and selfishness with the simplicity of finding him. And how do we find him? By seeking him with all of our heart and all of our soul. Like I said, it's not an easy life, but it's a simple life. It's a life of one aim and one goal and one narrative, seeking God. Friends, it's, it's amazingly freeing to be focused on one thing, and that's what God offers us in seeking him. In seeking God in prayer, we, we actually get to rid ourselves of the excess baggage of life, all of the stuff and the sin and the noise and the clutter and the clatter and the worry in fact, this is the language of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We all know those sins that so easily entangle us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, that one thing. If we seek God 
with, with, with perseverance, we will find him because God ultimately gives us what we seek. And this brings us full circle back to Psalm 27 verse 4. I've not even looked much at that this morning, but Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. God wants wants to declutter our souls. He wants our lives to be about one thing, but this needs perseverance. And so if, if you're going to persevere to soul declutter, first you, you have to be dissatisfied with the way things are, right? If, if you're happy with the messy room, then you'll never clear up a messy room. But if you're dissatisfied with a messy room, then you will do something about it. So you've got to be dissatisfied. And then the second thing, if you're going to persevere in decluttering your soul, then you need to surround yourself with examples that you can follow. You need people to show you that it is actually possible. You need a YouTube how-to um, you know, expert, which is why Marie Kondo was a massive hit a couple of years ago, because she showed the world that decluttering was a possibility. Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, he says this. Uh, I just love this because you really get his heart. He says, it hardly matters who I read in those days. Brother Lawrence's The Practice of the Presence of God, Teresa Irva Villa's Inter- Interior Castle, John Woolman's Journal, A.W. Tozer's the, the Knowledge of God, all of which, by the way, are really good books if you want to start looking into this. But he says, it really didn't ma- matter what I read. They knew God in ways far beyond anything I had ever experienced or even wanted to experience. But as I continued to soak in the stories of these women and men who were aflame with the fire of divine love, I began desiring this kind of life for myself. And desiring led to seeking, and seeking led to finding. And what I found settled me, deepened me, thickened me. If you want to light a flame in your heart for seeking God, then you need to be dissatisfied with the way things are and you need examples to follow. For me, reading the right kind of books nourishes the heart of this seeker. Talking with the right friends, my church 414 group, these all nourish this heart of this seeker. I, I, I need to surround myself with people who can show me that, de- that soul decluttering is not only possible, but it's God's will for me and what God calls us to, he enables us. Which is why we are, as a church, taking part in the Set Free Virtual Retreat on May the 14th and 15th. And that's why I'm running the 15-week renewal pathway called The Way starting on Monday, May the 17th. So if you want to declutter your soul from shame and guilt and sin and bondage, if you want to encounter Jesus in a new way, then sign up for the Set Free Retreat on our website. And if you want to know the joy of single-mindedly seeking Jesus with a group of like-minded people, then sign up for the way. We already have a number of people signed up. It's all on our website, okay? You know, at the end of the day, If all I'm surrounded by is my own example, then I will never change. I need to hear from the hungry and the seekers and the longers and the famished and the broken and the declutterers and the single-minded. Wendy and I were... uh, Oop. 
Wendy and I were, were in Rome a couple of years ago for our 15th anniversary, and we went on a bus tour of this ancient city. Uh, it was one of those hop-on, hop-off tours, and uh, we were driving past this thing called the Circus Maximus. Like, it's literally the place where the first of the Hippodromes was. Uh, it was. It's way older than the Colosseum, where they had gladiator fights, and they had animal fights, and they had chariot racing, uh, all of that kind of neat stuff that we see in gladiator and so we're on this bus and we're and we're driving past and we look down into this place where the circus maximus was and you can still see see you know the uh, ruins of it and the and the outline of it 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 was it was really neat so i was taking photos on my phone as we drove past and then one of us said hey why don't we actually get off here and maybe take a look and so we stopped at the far end of the Circus Maximus and we got down off the hop-on, hop-off bus and we walked down into the Circus Maximus and we walked the length of the Circus Maximus and we looked up to our left and we saw, saw the Palatine Hill and as we're walking the length of the Circus Maximus, this place where this massive auditorium used to be, we can imagine what it might have been like to be a soldier or a slave or a gladiator in that place. We appreciate it in a new way. Friends, we saw the Circus Maximus from the bus, but the only way to experience it was by choosing to stop the bus, to leave the bus, and to get down in the middle of it. And friends, we're all on this hop-on, hop-off bus of life, and we've all hopped on, and from where we're sat, we can see God as we whiz by, and then we go on to the next thing. But for us to seek God, to truly experience him, we need to hop off this lifestyle that we've somehow bought into. We need to stop seeing God as one stop on the tour of our day and we need to seek and we need to hop off. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now, the psalmist cannot mean that we need to spend every second of every day in the physical temple of God or at church We have to eat, we have to work, we have to sleep. We all have responsibilities. So seeking God cannot mean going to a physical location. After all, after all, God is spirit. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means that if you are in Jesus, that holy place that communicates to you God's presence is right here. And it's right here. This is where you seek God as you go about your day. It's your heart, it's your mind. But you don't know my life, you say. Well, I know I don't, but I imagine that you're overwhelmed with schedules and work and virtual learning and working from home and loneliness and weariness. But here's the amazing thing is that you can do all that and still be a person of one thing. You can do the kids and the shopping and the cleaning and the work and the gardening and the meals and the work list. You can do all of that and still say this only do I seek. You can still be picking up after the kids whilst dwelling in the house of the Lord, seeking him in his temple. Because seeking God isn't something that you do in addition to all this. Seeking God is a state of mind and a state of heart. It's a spiritual reality. And if you love God and are following him, then you're carrying around that sacred space, that sanctuary with you every second of every day. And so as we transition into communion this morning, let I I want to draw attention to a quiet voice, a still small voice that is ever speaking, but we drown it out with noise. Now, 
I'm not talking about God's still small voice. Not that, that quiet voice. It's another quiet voice. It's, it's, it's you. Because Psalm 27 verse 8 says this. My heart says of you, seek his face. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your heart is trying to communicate with you. Your heart wants you to seek God's face. Every weakness, every brokenness, every failure in your life, every time you lose yourself in busyness or in schedules or in medication or in isolation or in unhealthy relationships or in, or in addiction or in codependency or in grief or in bitterness or in perfectionism, every time you do that, this is your attempt to seek for what only God can supply. But you're looking in the wrong places. And your heart says, stop doing all that. Seek his face. And this morning as we go into communion, I want to invite you to respond to your heart's cry as it pleads with you to seek God's face. And my hope is that you will respond with these words from Psalm 27 verse 8. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Your face, O Lord, I will seek.